On August 31st of 1803, at the confluence of the Allegheny and Monongahela Rivers, Captain Meriwether Lewis, along with 11 recruits, set off onto the Ohio River from Pittsburgh aboard the keelboat that he had overseen the construction of for the previous month. It was the first steps of the young United States' most ambitious exploration. Just a few weeks earlier, on July 4th, the Jefferson administration had announced the Louisiana Purchase from Napoleon, the largest peaceful land acquisition in history, 800,000 square miles for just $15 million, or about three cents per acre. Lewis had recruited some men while in Pittsburgh, but his colleague, William Clark, had rafted down the Ohio earlier on a flatboat to Clarksville, across the river from Louisville, both towns established by his brother, Revolutionary War hero George Rogers Clark, who had captured several British forts in the Old Northwest Territory and along the Ohio and Mississippi Rivers during the War for American Independence. Now, because of his brother's popularity with these early settlers in the Ohio River Valley, William Clark was the perfect recruiting officer around Clarksville, Louisville, and other early American settlements on the frontier. Captain Lewis reached Clarksville on October 14th. Captain Clark then joined the expedition with his African-American slave York, as well as nine more recruits, and the Corps of Discovery parted within the week. Reaching the mouth of the Ohio River, the keelboat was turned north against the current up the Mississippi River, having to be oared, pulled, or sailed by wind. Arriving in St. Louis on December 8th, the captains decided it best to camp for the winter across the river at what they called Camp Dubois, near the site of present-day Alton, Illinois. The camp was chosen for two reasons. Ice flows from upstream were coming down the Mississippi, making river travel therefore impossible for a few months. But probably more importantly, the captains believed that the temptations of the French Bon Vivant Society of St. Louis might be a distraction for their men, and they worried that there might be defections. Luckily, there were none, and Clark continued to recruit more men over the winter from St. Louis and St. Charles, especially men who knew the Missouri River and could act as guides and interpreters with the tribes that they might meet. Because of spring floodwaters and an above-average current, the expedition was not able to leave Camp Dubois until dawn on May 14th. By the end of that day, the expedition of 58 men, one woman, and a large Newfoundland dog had reached the Missouri River and turned the keelboat up into its brown, muddy flow. On June 3rd, 19 days after disembarking from Camp Dubois, the expedition camped at the mouth of the Moro River, which empties into the Missouri from the southern bank. It's today is the eastern boundary of the city of Jefferson, which, as most of you know, is the place that I call home. Pittsburgh, Louisville, St. Louis, St. Charles, Jefferson City. It took Meriwether Lewis a total of 119 days to travel from one to the other, and 276 days if you count the time that they spent in their winter camp. Now last week, I visited all of those places and returned home within the span of seven days. If you told Captains Lewis and Clark that very fact in 1803, I bet it would have blown their minds. This is episode 27. Welcome to the Brews Traveler, exploring the craft beer scene across North America, one craft brewery at a time. And now here's your host, the man who gets more MPP, that's miles per pint, than anybody, Alan Tatman. Before St. Louis was the gateway to the West, Pittsburgh was the gateway to the frontier. Hello everyone, thank you for finding us out here in the podcasting universe, coming to you from the home studio on the bluffs above the muddy Missouri River. Welcome to another episode of The Bruised Traveler. I just got back home the night before last from my East Coast trip. Uh, I was in Louisville the day before yesterday, and the day before that I was in West Virginia. And before that, uh, I had a night on the Delaware Shore. Thank you, Dogfish Head Brewing. And two nights in the Philadelphia area, and started the whole thing with a stop in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the home of this week's featured brewery, 
East End Brewing Company and a talk with owner and founder Scott Smith. The last time I had seen Pittsburgh was in the fall of 1980, and when I say see Pittsburgh, that's exactly what I mean. I did not set foot in the city because I was working as a deckhand on a towboat about two miles downstream from the confluence of the Allegheny and Monongahela, and looking upstream, I could see the skyline of the Steel City. So in truth, this was my very first visit ever to Pittsburgh, and I was only there one night, and I was disappointed to leave. I really enjoyed my short time there. I went to the brewery. I took a trip to a craft beer and cocktail bar, the Independent Brewing Company. They're not a brewery. They specialize in local craft beers and cocktails. And that bar is in the Squirrel Hill neighborhood. Uh, and I went to the Tree of Life Synagogue. And I paid my respects uh, to the 11 innocent lives that were lost there back in October. A very sad note on otherwise was a great trip. I got to talk to some of the people who live in that neighborhood. And I tell you, this was up there with my visit to Wounded Knee and my visit to Omaha Beach. I was really moved. They're just wonderful people in that neighborhood. And their resilience in the face of this tragedy is to be commended. My heart goes out to all of the families, friends, and neighbors of that small group of folks that have been impacted, as well as to the people of the city of Pittsburgh, all of them who have been impacted by such a tragedy. So I do hope to go back to Pittsburgh sometime in the very near future with Mary Lee, maybe pick up a uh, St. Louis Cardinals Pittsburgh Pirates series there. I tell you, when I came out of the Fort Pitt Tunnel from the west, and emerging out on the other side and crossing the Monongahela and seeing the skyline. There was Heinz Field, PNC Park, towering buildings, Point State Park, where the two rivers meet to form the Ohio. It was a beautiful sight. And overnight, there was some snow, and I didn't take the RV on this trip, if you listened to my postcard from the road last week. Uh, it had module control issues, so I got a room uh, at the Residence Inn, and when I awoke the next morning and looked out from my ninth floor hotel room window, and it was absolutely beautiful. Now, I know, looking at a city, you don't think of beautiful, but it was. It was pretty. Now, there were only about three inches of snow on the ground, and the snow plows had done a great job of getting the main streets cleared. So I had no trouble driving from the hotel over to the brewery to meet with Scott. And even when I left to uh, head for Philadelphia... The, the streets in the Pennsylvania Turnpike were clear. But when I reached Somerset, which is a town that's about 2,200 feet in elevation, Scott had warned me before I left, look out, snow can fall up there at any time. Wet air mass coming in off of the Alleghenies and dropping poof, a bunch of snow, and it did. At uh, one point, we got down, traffic was only flowing about 20 miles per hour. And this was on some of the steepest grades of uh, the curviest stretches of highway uh, that I saw between Pittsburgh and Philly. But uh, it finally it let up some and the snow plows, they did their job and uh, the snow melt all over the ice. The roads were clear. And as soon as I cleared the front range of the Allegheny Mountains, uh, by that time, the Piedmont, I was on the Piedmont and the skies had cleared and the sun came out and it was just this bucolic farmland, lots of barns and German inspired architecture. So easy driving, easy driving until I got near uh, the suburbs of Philly and then everything slowed down. Anyway, I finally reached uh, my friends Travis and Heather's house about 6.30 when I should have probably been there about two hours earlier than that. So that was my trip from Pittsburgh to Philly, and I'm really glad I was driving a front-wheel drive car and not the RV. Uh, especially, and I'm really, really especially glad that the body control module, which is the thing that had to be fixed, was discovered, or I mean actually went on the fritz before I left, because that, guess what, is the thing that controls your anti-lock brake system. So... That could have been nasty. But it was all worth it, and I'll have more stories about the trip in upcoming episodes. So, enough of that. Let's get on with it. 
Here is Scott Smith of East End Brewing Company of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and this is your interview of the week. Hello, everybody. Coming to you from East End Brewing Company in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Sitting here with Scott Smith, the owner, founder, and used to be head brewer. Now he's just the uh, main... Head the, floor washer or... Uh, <laughs> Scott, thanks for taking time out of your day to come and see us. Now, it's you and your your partner, like Marilee and I, it's you and your wife. Julie is your partner in the business. Yep. And uh, how long have you been here at this location? Um, we've been at this location um, somewhere around six years. Right. Um, the transition from the old, the original spot to here is a little blurry because we had... Uh-huh things happening in both both spots for a while and now when you say the others is that the 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 tap room down in the uh no our our original location was over on susquehanna street um which was a little uh four thousand square foot building about which uh, maybe 1300 square feet of uh of it was um, usable brew space so um that building has since been torn down. Probably, probably should have been torn down while we were still in that building, <laughs> given the state of things. Um, but uh, yeah, we spent about eight years in that original spot. Well, and this looks like you're uh, you're doing some expansion work here. Uh, you yep. said something about you're getting ready to put in a full time kitchen. Yeah, yeah. We uh, well, when we started here, we put a uh, put up a building permit sign mm -hmm. um, for our original construction and in. We really haven't taken it down <laughs> since uh, since in the years that we've been here, and so the latest uh, wave of construction is uh, the installation of a uh, full-on kitchen. So oh, great! Um, uh, it's the uh, it's probably the top top item on the long list of things that I said I'd absolutely never do. Um, and uh, it's funny uh, how that happens. Yeah, yeah. Little by little, we've ticked off every single one of those. So when did you start East End Brewing? Uh, back in 2004. Okay, so 14 years going now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Coming, Coming up on, number on uh, starting our 15th, yeah. yeah. Now, if you hear a lot of banging around in the background, folks, that's because uh, uh, the, the, the carpenter is here working yeah. on the kitchen expansion. Yeah. and uh, That's Aaron over there. Aaron. Yeah, doing, Hi, his, Aaron. doing his thing. All right. So <laughs> if you hear a little banging around, that's what's going on. That's, that's realism. So <laughs> how did you get involved in crab brewing? Maddie was telling me, Last night I was talking to your barman here, your your beer tender, and he said that uh, you just like basically were brewing out of your house at one time. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, I I came out of college with an engineering degree and worked for a big Fortune 500 company for 13 years, and um, home brewing on the side as as many do for probably about nine years right uh, before I finally uh, jumped ship from the corporate gig and said I'm gonna do something else but um, I actually didn't necessarily want to open a brewery when I quit right um, I had just have a very patient wife uh, and, a, and a, as a sole breadwinner for a family of four um, to go yeah go ahead and quit that job as our only source of income and we'll see what happens next Wow. Um, and so uh, she was the one who, um, when I was looking at at how how we might be able to to operate a beer making type enterprise, um, she was the one who said, "I think you need to try this and get this out of your system. Either it's going to fall flat on its face, or it's going to be a new path for us." Um, so uh, she likes beer. That, you know, that, and that, that, that's that's a wonderful relationship, and I have that as well. It's like that. My wife is not afraid. To try new things, yeah, you know? yeah, and you know it's nice when you find somebody that uh, shares your shares your dreams and yeah, and wants you to go move ahead. Well, she wasn't uh, completely convinced right out of the gate. You know, the first the first few years were um, we came in as a production brewery, um, so the notion was me as a one man show operating in a in a sketchy building in a sketchy neighborhood delivering kegs to bars and restaurants. Right. Um, never with any front of house or any kind of place where people, you know, beer drinkers could come in. Right. Um, so, the, the 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 scheme was to come in on the lowest margin part of the of the of the way to get into the to right. the to the business. And so for those first years, you know, we opened. You know, you see a brewery open today, and there's a there's a grand opening, and they pack the house, and everybody's a lot of fanfare, a big event. We opened and 
there was it was a non-event right um you know in spite of what uh, social media uh, wait there was no social media in 2004 no. um uh so there was no place to go there was no place for people to go so those first few years were very lean and uh we actually noticed um uh after we started to sort of mature and find our voice, um, the the use of the pronouns shifted in our house. So it's it went from being you know we have friends over at the house or something talking with him and and originally it was um, Julie would say, well Scott's Brewery your brewery, <laughs> and 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 then as the years went on it it slowly shifted to. Our brewery. <laughs> uh, when there was something a little less ramshackle and uh, maybe something to be a little more proud of. When you opened in 2004, how many craft brewers were there in Pittsburgh uh, area? There were uh, two other breweries in the city of Pittsburgh. There were a few in the surrounding areas, but there were two others in Pittsburgh. There was uh, Penn Brewery and Church Brew Works. Okay. Um, Penn was really focused on... Um, German styles, okay. uh, definitely very lager intensive. A lot of the Pennsylvania lager tradition, really, they uh, uh, were, were an early uh, uh, adopter adopter of in a, in a in a on a smaller micro, as we called it at the time, right. uh, scale. And then there was the Church Brew Works, which is a uh, um, operates in a, a massive desanctified uh, Catholic church um, that really focused was focused on being a restaurant. Right. and be in a pub space. Right. Um, so nobody that I saw in the Pittsburgh area was really focused on doing beers that were more hot forward or a big robust stout or beer, beer styles that, that we had seen when we lived in San Francisco, um, beer styles that I fell in love with when we lived in Chicago prior mm -hmm. to that when, when my wife and I met. Those weren't really represented in the Pittsburgh market, right. so um, my notion was to uh, to to maybe maybe find a way to be that local brewery. You know, there were beer bars in Pittsburgh, but there wasn't really a production brewery that had beer on tap all around town. Um, so hey, maybe we could be that brewery if that's what we focused on is just um, production and, and distribution. Why Pittsburgh? Are you from here originally? Yeah, I uh, um, actually when the brewery was founded, uh, we were uh, um, we had moved back to Pittsburgh after I quit my corporate gig, and uh, moved to a house about a block from the one I grew up in, so that the kids could be close to, to grandma and right. uh, and and the like. We actually were on East End Avenue. The name was partly out of the street we were living on, uh -huh. but partly out of uh, a desire to have a local focus. Right. You know, have a Pittsburgh area focus. I never had any dreams of shipping beer across the country, um, and and so uh, um, not only uh, to, for it to be a Pittsburgh area brewery, but a neighborhood focus. So, although we still do allow our beer to be served in the West End, absolutely, uh, if it's if it's necessary. <laughs> You do. You have a tap room now down yep. in the Strip, which is kind of a nightlife district. I'm assuming. Yeah, the the Strip district is a uh, is an interesting part of Pittsburgh. It's kind of um, if you pictured um, a city with a big like farmers market or public market type setting, um, the Strip district neighborhood would be that market. Uh, that's uh, the history of it is um, um, probably probably physically best manifested by the produce terminal building. It's a building that's about a quarter mile long where rail would come into the city filled with filled with food. That was the food center of the town and then trucks would come in and pick up in the strip and then distribute it around, around the city. Distribution has changed since then, but that legacy of, hey, the strip district is where where the city gets its food uh, still kind of exists. So it's that long strip of a warehouse is where the, where the name comes from. How not long, not, how, not strip joints. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so we've been been um, serving beer in the strip for um, I think about seven, maybe seven or eight years now. Um, but that space that we're in there, um, so we were actually part of two public market entities okay. um, um, prior to that. The original one that operated in that terminal building, that then moved to a different location in the strip, and then when that when that one closed, we decided to open a proper tap room. 
those those uh, public market spots was was they were more like a place where you could taste a beer and then get a growler to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our spot in the Strip District now, as you could probably read, is a more more of a full on pub setting and more, right. more of a bar setting. So you can sit and have a flight of beers, have a couple of pints. Um, there's food now elsewhere in the building, right. uh, or uh, we we've had a BYOF policy uh, uh, at that location since we opened. Okay. Uh, basically, you know, we could try to put a kitchen in there, but why compete with the multitude of food options right. on the strip? So it's easy for people to bring some bring a sandwich in and and have a have a pint with it. Here, you've been in this space here six years, you said. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so now you're going to expand. You're going to try to put a kitchen in here. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And we've been uh, lucky enough to. Um, uh, uh, have a relationship with uh, Justin Severino and Hillary Prescott um, to um, for our um, listeners that are not from the area like yeah, myself right. who, are, who are those guys so uh, Justin and Hillary are the people behind um, uh, Morcia and Cure restaurants in Pittsburgh um, uh, Justin is a, a, a repeated James Beard nominee okay um, uh, that and has a, has a yeah um, to, to, I'll, I'll drop drop keep dropping names until yeah, 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 uh, yeah. until the uh, <laughs> until there's a familiar one um, but uh, he's a, uh, um, a fantastically talented chef and uh, they're also really happen to be really great people um, so we've known them for a number of years from doing farm dinners and other events um, over the years so um, we've been talking about uh, threatening to do something together like this for a while and so now we're we're finally getting that. Uh, Getting that together. Your food service here, what are you going to specialize in? Just kind of pub food or? Uh, it's not going to be the uh, jalapeno poppers and. Uh, uh, right. Um, uh, sports bar. Sports bar cuisine. Crap, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the, not the Cisco truck thing. Right, right, right. Um, uh, it will be beer friendly food. Honestly, I'll, I'll leave the, uh, the detail of that menu completely up to, uh, to Justin. So Justin, he's going to be your chef, cook, he's, kitchen it, manager? He'll actually operate as a separate business inside okay. this brewery. Oh, yeah. oh right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so you'll be able to um, walk up to the bar, grab a pint, um, walk over to the counter, put your food order in, and have it brought out to you. So oh. not the white tablecloth, right. fussy service, right. um, more casual. Uh, but um, constantly changing menu of uh, whatever's fresh and and, uh, and available. And I, I mean, I'm a I'm a, a reluctant uh, publican. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I that long list of things I said I never do. One right. of the ones was uh, I'm never going to have a bar because I don't want to deal with like drunks and serving 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 pints to people. I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm never going to package our beer. We're never going to. Um, uh, uh, put our beer into it. I'm just going to just do draft only, and I'm certainly never going to have a restaurant. Um, so this uh, and here we are, and here and here we are exactly. But you know what? You find a way to do these things little by little, kicking and screaming. I I think I uh, uh, my wife is also a. Uh, you know what? That sounds like a bad idea. Prove to me why it's why it's a good idea. So when somebody like uh, Justin's in your orbit um, and knows how these things work, and they're going to take care of it, that's pretty phenomenal. But I think what you're going to find out, and you probably already know this, is that your customer retention over a longer period is going to increase. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. it, I mean, it yeah. absolutely will. You, yeah. People that would come here maybe have two, three right. pints are now going to stay. They're going to munch. And they're going to have five, six, maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, that's, and typically that's what we see is um, we see our, our traffic here die off um, after eight o'clock on a Saturday because right. we know we're the place where people go to have a couple of beers and then hey where do you want to go to eat right. uh, and so um, the, the hope is that we uh, not only do we go oh let's stay here and eat but we also have people going let's go eat there out of the gate because yeah. the food's and, good and, and they've got fantastic beer right right so that's the, the he, he brings an audience to the table um, so there may be people coming in here that have never had our beer before so when you started in 2004, how many barrel brewery were you working with? Um, the brew house we, uh, that I originally, back when the we was me, uh-huh. uh, the, uh, um, uh, the brew house we had uh, uh, was a 10 barrel system. Uh, we bought it um, used locally from the old Foundry Ale Works uh, that was a brew pub in, uh, in Pittsburgh. When the year that we opened and the year prior to, to um, to that uh, two brew pubs had closed um, in Pittsburgh so this was 
you know, the 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 first bubble of the 90s right. in its death throes and right. still had a couple of hangers on right. that had dropped out in the uh, in the previous year. So the local mood was, eh, craft beer's dead. What do you, you know, back before we called it craft beer. Um, uh, craft, craft beer is dead, then that's that's kind of over, you know, there's right. nobody really doing that anymore. Based on what I had seen in, uh, in in the other cities we had lived in, you know, it's the old it's the old Mark Twain quote, right? Like I want to I want to die in Pittsburgh because everything happens there ten years later. Uh, uh, so, uh, uh, or at least attributed to Twain. I don't know if that's really his or not, but it's. I've I grew up in Hannibal, and I've heard that one. Yeah, I, you yeah. Know, there's a lot. Like Yogi Berra said, I never said all the things I said. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, yeah. now you're doing. You've got a twenty barrel brew house. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So we um, we actually got that installed and operational here before we decommissioned the old one. Okay. Um, and the old one went on to uh, yet another uh, life that's down in uh, in New Orleans um, at right. a uh, at a at a brewery there. Um, hopefully, it's uh, uh, still hanging together. We certainly um, in the old building we we it was designed as a brew pub system to be right. brewed on you know two three times a week, um, and we ran that thing you know beat the beat the heck out of that right. equipment and really really ready for a quiet retirement i don't know if it's getting <laughs> getting one or not when as you moved from being brewer you you yourself were doing brewing distributing sales and yep. you've now you've kind of moved marketing, into marketing websites right so uh, now you're yeah yeah, yeah yeah so when did uh when did you bring on help uh, to help you in the brew uh, production area um uh, Brendan, I think, was our first hire that we actually um, compensated with money. Uh, <laughs> there were some people that were helping out. Um, uh, early on, I realized that um, we had in our in our license. I, I had I was asking some questions to the Pennsylvania Liquor Board, and I got a response back um, that indicated that we could sell Growlers beer. And that was a novelty in Pittsburgh. Right. They didn't really. A couple of beer bars had them, but like the container was like twenty dollars behind the bar, right. and they were a, a rarity. Um, so we realized early on that uh, that was something. I just had to get a federal the federal label approval on it, and we started selling growlers out of that old spot. Uh, so I had a couple of folks that were helping me out at the time um, that were uh, filling growlers a couple of days a week, and then we expanded that to a couple more days a week. And that really became the growth engine. Somewhere in that time period, um, Brendan came into our orbit. Orbit. He had been uh, working at a uh, at North Country Brewing uh, up in Slippery Rock, um, commuting. Um, he lived probably half a mile from the first East End site, right. and uh, and he was driving an hour, hour and a half each each way. Wow. Uh, to uh, to be the head brewer up in Slippery Rock, and so he came knocking on our door and said, "Hey, maybe there's some, maybe I can help you out with some things here." What year was that? About. Uh, I want to say that was maybe 2006. Okay. So you were still um, young. You still, were still, yeah. Yeah. The yeah. business, I mean. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and and me physically, uh, younger, <laughs> considerably younger. Uh, yeah, and and uh, and he's been a. a solid part of our of our operation ever since 14 years going on How, yep. what's your annual production now um i haven't looked at it in a while um i think we're somewhere around 3,000 barrels um it's it's hard because it feels busier than that because now we have two front of house locations right. so um there's a lot more activity and more customers but um uh but the liquid volume is, you know, comparatively small in growth compared to what we see on the um, uh, on the distribution side. Okay. I know that you you, uh, you uh, encourage people to clean their own growler yes. before yeah. bringing it in. <laughs> yeah, it uh, honestly, it's easier to do. You rinse it out, right? Let it dry. You're good. But right. um, yeah, people would come in with a growler with like three tablespoons in the bottom of vinegar yeah. that had been sitting in their car all summer, and go, "Oh, the beer will kill that." And like, no, it's kind of the other way around. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of a lot of education early on. Um, back in our old location, we you know we'd, um, we'd we'd pour a uh, pour a pint of our big hop. A beer that we used to call an IPA. We actually don't call it an IPA now. APA. Um, we call it an American Ale. American Ale. Uh, doesn't really fit into pale ale category. IPA, fit IPAs, in... 
IPA that is changed. Absolutely, it's more. It was it was it was very a very very hoppy beer 14 years ago. Right. Um, and today it's hoppy, but it's not. It, Overly it does hop. not. It's it not does, hop forward. It does not meet that expectation yeah. Yeah. that the name creates. So we people would come into the old location and go IPA. Is that Pennsylvania? PA? Is that what that means? Oh. Wow! How'd you get here? <laughs> An unmarked building on an unmarked street, right. uh, and they're coming in to, to get a growler beer. Yeah. All right, so you, you're doing about three thousand barrels, but it feels a little bit more than like than that. Yeah. Because of yeah. And we also we've also been sending a lot more cans to the wholesaler uh, for distribution this uh -huh. year. Uh, we did start packaging about three years ago here, um, uh, and in full distribution. So uh, I haven't looked at the numbers this yeah. year, but we've got. What's your territory for distribution? Uh, so, so here's a, uh, uh, even people that know East End Brewing may be shocked to hear, we've not changed our distribution territory since the first year we opened, uh, which is kind of like the western third of Pennsylvania. Okay. So um, uh, we've been able to find more, more customers and more growth, more tap placements, um, and even more, uh, more, more place to now distribute packaged beer to. Again, on that list of things I right. said I never do, just by going deeper and deeper into the local market. I'm, I see that model a lot. People are people yeah. are trying to. I'm right. going to concentrate on making the best beer I can for our right. people right here. Yeah, and and you see other breweries that have actually uh, started to pull back their distribution. Right. They're shrinking their distribution territory. Hey, this beer is no longer available in these states. And right. part of it is um, they have more demand locally uh, and maybe limited resources to send it out. But also, it's not that profitable. To, the further away you send the beer, and the, the big part that frightens me is I can't control the quality of the beer that's of my beer as it's being perceived two states away you know i got I you got, don't know how I, long I it's been sitting in the grocery store right, on the shelf yeah and, or yeah. even just kegs in in rotation making sure that the you know i see reviews of the beer on untapped right. and here's a double ipa that somebody didn't really care for and that's because we released it in january and now it's December, and that beer has been sitting someplace for for instead of being consumed, you know, within a couple of weeks, it's been it's been nearly a year. It amazes me. I mean, we have sixteen on 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 tap. We yeah. have sixteen different beers, and I can honestly say none, none none of those kegs ever sits there more than a week. Yeah, you know, yeah, because we promote our draft beer. Yeah, but I I see these guys, and they like. These fifty hundred tap houses. How the hell can you do that? It's just to me. It just. Is, you're I not, mean, maybe you maybe you're like a stadium, and you got a thousands of people coming through the right. door. But in all likelihood, it's a recipe for stale beer. Um, but, uh, and, and it's and it's also it's a lot of lines to clean. Right. It's a lot of beer going down the drain. Right. It's I'd rather have a well curated list of a of uh, you know ten to twenty taps uh, that that uh, I'm going to find something I like in there if the if the beer choices are right. 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 And I'm picky. <laughs> yeah, and your your uh, your partners. I shouldn't say your partners, but in business, they're your partners. Uh, independent Brewing Company up there. Yeah. Yeah. They, they. I mean, you sent me there last night for dinner. It's fantastic. Yeah. Good selection of beer. Yeah, they are very very selective about what they bring on. For the first couple of years of their operation, they. Uh, well, how many years? Have, they may have only been around for a couple of years. For the first, at least for the first year, they were doing all beer within a hundred mile radius right. of their of their location, mm -hmm. um, nothing outside. And generally, they're getting beer directly from the breweries, um, so that they understand where it's been. They know the the um, the path of it. Right. That's a wonderful model. Um, now they've started to bring some some obscure stuff in from um, European breweries and 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 rare and wonderful beers, but even then, selecting ones that travel well. Right. So yeah. that they're not going to open something up when they get it and be disappointed. Your portfolio, yeah, big hop. Yep, that's your number one beer. How, what do you think percentage-wise that is of your production? It's about uh, forty percent of the liquid okay. that we make, which okay. is crazy to me because that was the first beer that I was schlepping door to door mm -hmm. and trying to get people to put it on tap. Um, the recipe hasn't really changed since we started. Uh, we used to call it Big Hop IPA, but we've taken the IPA off of that in the last uh, few years because um, today's IPA uh, uh, has a different expectation. It's a different, if you yeah. tell somebody it's an IPA and you pour a Big Hop, Big Hop's got a lot of malt character in it. Right. Um, 
but uh, 14 years ago, 15 years ago, that was a really hoppy beer. But um, yeah, it's the uh, it's the the, the mainstay uh, of what we do. We do over 35 beers a year, the largest barrel aging program in the city, sour and spirit barrel uh, 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 aged beers. But it all comes back to big hop. When I came in last night, I had uh, I had your Potly cloudy, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, New England style, and also yep. I had I had your milkshake IPA. Yep, and then I had the the, the guava sour. Yeah, and uh, I had snowmelt. Snowmelt's like a winter ale, right? But I, I I liked it for the fact that like a lot of times winter ales will be really kind of sweet. Yeah, and this yeah. one's not. You, it's you, not. It's it's rich. It's malty. Right, but it's not real like that. Sticky, cloying, sticky, sweet, yeah. cloying. Yeah, we used to tell people that that beer had, beer had a mystery spice in it, mm-hmm. um, and you know, have a this guessing game across the bar. Right. Like, oh, I, a cardamom, or uh, 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 the, and the, the mystery is that there's no spice in the beer. No, no, not uh, at all. It uh, gets none, all none it whatsoever. gets its flavor from hops and roasting. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a, a fair amount of chocolate malt in that beer, which is a, a, a personal personal favorite malt of mine, and. Uh, um, Simcoe and I believe Simcoe and Nugget to give kind of a piney, uh, um, piney aspect to it. Um, while I, uh, I I can honestly say I like everything that we that we brew, um, Snowmel has a special place in my house, um, or, or as we just call it in my house at this time of year, we just call it beer. Did you bring any beer right, home? And it's right. implied that that's going to be Snowmelt. <laughs> So 35 beers, uh, different kinds of beer every year? Yeah, something like that. Um, we've got uh, uh, three year-round beers. Um, what are hop. those besides Big, Big Hop? So Big Hop, of course, and then uh, we've got a little 3.8% uh, uh, nut brown ale called Fat Gary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, our Monkey Boy Hefeweizen, which um, Monkey Boy tends to defy all logic. You wouldn't think that a beer like that style would uh, see an uptick in the winter months, but hmm. we actually see a lot of uh, increase in sales in Monkey Boy at this time of year. Monkey Boy because it's kind of got some banana esters. And, exactly. Yeah. 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 Some people get the get the joke. Some people don't. Right. Um, but uh, or some people call it Monkey Bay for some reason. I'm not sure why. I think there's a wine called Monkey Bay. Well, some people order IHOP instead of Big Hop too. Right. So I usually offer them boysenberry syrup for their pancakes if they. Uh, <laughs> Is there something about this industry that when you got involved with it 14 years ago that surprised you? It is truly um, uh, a one-of-a-kind industry. I honestly believe that the camaraderie and the, and the helpful nature of, of this industry is unlike anything I've ever experienced. Anyway, I've, Everybody I've, says that. And, and, and I mean, we, uh, you know, we, uh, of course, this is coming off of uh, we just did the Resilience IPA um, uh, brew day yesterday as a collaboration with like uh, 20 other local brewers came out here. It doesn't take 20 people to make a batch of beer. Right. Uh, so it's a lot of standing around and, and um, um, having a beer and telling war stories and, and asking each right. other questions about right. uh, process and things. Uh, but that's that's a, uh, a an easy example of the way that this industry um, steps up and steps together when there's a when there's a need for something. Um, you know, I I was uh, lucky enough to to receive um, assistance from some local guys in the in the in the business. Um, uh, a guy Brian that was the head brewer at the Church Brew Works that now has uh, a yeast house out in Colorado, um, nice. uh, BSI. Uh, he was super helpful to me early on. There was uh, uh, just, you know, I, I, I received assistance as a newbie coming into this business. I had never brewed commercially before. Right. And here I am sinking my life savings into some harebrained scheme to, you know, put piece together a, a brew house in a, in a crappy building in a crappy neighborhood uh, to see if I can make it work. And I had, I had you know, people that, that knew better mm-hmm. coming to help me out. So we try to pay that forward as much as we can with uh, um, the new people in the industry. And boy, there's a lot. Right. You know, we've got uh, in Allegheny County now, uh, I think at last count, there's 32 uh, operating breweries. Um, that's the highest count in any county in Pennsylvania, and we are certainly not the most populous uh, county. Allegheny right. County being the county that, that surrounds Pittsburgh. Um, so there's a lot of people coming up, um, and we've got a, a pretty tight, tight bunch. Um, there's a you know, it's a Facebook group where someone's like, "Hey, I, I need some malt for this, or I need." Uh, right. 
Anybody have any hops to share? But also, uh-oh, my glycol chiller crapped out and I dumped 100 gallons of glycol onto the floor. Uh, who's got some <laughs> that I can get in right. an hour? Right. Uh, and that, those kinds of posts are just mobbed with, with, uh, uh, with responses. Um, and it's it's uh, yeah it's, I can't I can't imagine you know the local your local dentist office saying hey you know what I'm all out of uh, amalgam uh, who's got some that yeah. I could borrow a bag right. uh, <laughs> it's not and I and I think the the, the common thread is that uh, everybody's been through the same kind of natural hazing process right. of opening a brewery we've all suffered suffered for our for our craft uh, and we all come back to the uh, the, the the main reason. You know, we're we're in this is beer. There's a fundamental love for beer and and all that that comes with it. What challenges do you foresee and upcoming, not only for East End Brewing but in the industry? All all of that that's a positive mm -hmm. uh, um, has a has a set of challenges associated with it because it's a it's a crowded marketplace now, right? right? So how do you differentiate yourself? Differentiate yourself? Um, how do you make sure that you're staying current? You know, we're the old farts. In, in this town uh, when it comes to, to beer making. So how do we make sure that um, when somebody walks in here, they don't go, oh boy, they're not really making any of these uh, modern modern styles, you know? Right. We, were, uh, we were a little, maybe a little, a little bit late in getting into the hazy, hoppy uh, beer game. Um, we had a beer called Wheat Hop that we brewed back in 2007 or 2008 that was hazy and hoppy and, and wheat-based before before we, that was a thing. Right. Um, but uh, beers like Partly Cloudy and Chance of Shires, these were all Pittsburghies. So pardon my my um, excruciating accent if you're not from Pittsburgh. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, Yin's got to come down Pittsburgh, and then you'll figure it all out. I can translate that later okay. for you. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, you got to you got to make sure you're you're staying current, right? You got to. Um, there's no there's no resting which is so it's it's a it's actually a wonderful thing that additional people are coming into the marketplace because it makes sure makes us sure that we're on our game right you know we gotta we gotta make a better space for people to come in we gotta make sure our beers are consistent and of the best quality that we can that we can do and it has to be better than the beer we made last year every year so do you have any like uh, special events that you do here at East End Brewing or in Pittsburgh with the brewing community? Yeah, we do. Um, so we actually have a recently formed uh, Pittsburgh Brewers Guild. Right. Um, so that that organization is less than a year old. Uh, we just um, a couple of months ago launched our passports um, so that you can go and get a stamp at every single brewery, um, every single person, every, every single organization that's that's making beer in Allegheny County now has a page on that book. Um, uh, and we, I think they've done like three printings of that. Wow. We, we put them out, they're sold out. We put them out again, they're sold out. And it's like a $10 passport, you know, but, but there's, we, uh, we just got them in stock a couple of weeks ago and they're gone already again. In a couple of weeks, we've got our, uh, our crafts and drafts event, uh, where we've got about 20 local artists all, um, selling their wares here in the brewery. So that'll be set up in our front of house as well as in the brew area. And we'll open up our whole facility to uh, folks to come in. Uh, we usually offer a free taster of beer. We put that in the back corner of the building to right. draw people in sure. uh, so that the artists get some uh, face time with folks coming in. Um, and we usually see somewhere between 500 and 700 people come out on that day. Nice. So th for the craft beer tourist traveler, yeah. Yeah. When would when when do you think be the best time to come to Pittsburgh? Hmm. Gratitude release day is certainly a uh, a, a, a big event for us um, for the uh, for the for the true beer nerd. Um, that is our uh, barley wine that we've been producing um, since since year one, um, uh, and uh, now we've released that in two forms of base model as well as a bourbon barrel aged uh, version of that. My, my wife loves barley wine. My uh, my wife is the um, is the is is consumer number one on gratitude <laughs> barley wine. She's usually good for like one and done. She'll have a beer, uh -huh. but she wants it to count, uh -huh. and then she'll have one, and that's good for her. Um, Maybe a second one, but when it's an eleven and a half percent barley wine in a sixteen ounce can or a twenty two ounce bottle, usually right. you know, that's that's sufficient. We also do a uh, do an event with. Uh, local brewers the one coming up here is on january 19th is our good wood fest um all of the beers are from local breweries uh, we basically put on a beer festival in the brewery uh and all 100 percent of the beers have spent time uh in wood 
bourbon barrel aged beers, rum barrel aged beers, um, wine barrel aged beers, sour beers, um, all, all locals. And we've only got room to have about 200 people in here for that by the time we load up all the place with breweries. Um, and Justin will again be doing the food for, uh, for the fest this year. Um, When's so, the date on that? Uh, January 19th. Okay. And uh, we actually have tickets already on sale for it now. Um, sell out pretty quickly. It it uh, it'll definitely sell out. It's not one of those like you drop the tickets and they're gone, um, but uh, but they'll be probably probably uh, before December's out. I'm betting it will uh, will sell through that. If somebody wants to get tickets, what do they need to do? Uh, go to uh, eastendbrewing.com right. and uh, check our events page, and uh, you'll find a link. Uh, we do this event in partnership with uh, Wiggle Whiskey, a local whiskey distillery, and um, uh, they actually uh, will be sampling whiskey here at the event as well. Nice. Um, and uh, we pay all the brewers for their beer. We pay them for their time. Um, and sometimes instead of payment, they may take uh, empty whiskey barrels uh, from the distillery, which also like seeds the the, uh, more, the, the brewing community for, yeah. for more participants for next year. Um, so it's been a uh, been a nice partnership. I think this is our fourth year for uh, for doing the Goodwood Fest. Uh, the last event I'll mention is the one that we've been doing since year one, um, and uh, you got to wait till spring for it, but usually it's around the tail end of April. Uh, we do our Pedal Pale Ale keg ride, um, but originally we had, I had this notion of doing a, a pale ale that we would deliver by bicycle to, uh, to, to um, different locations. The LCB ultimately told us that we couldn't deliver by, by beer by bicycle to 20 different bars on one day um, without like making all the riders employees and right. and owning the equipment, the bicycles and everything. So uh, we shifted it and in, uh, in year one, um, I pulled a keg on a bicycle to an undisclosed location. We had about 25 people come out, follow me to that location and we bought the first round. Next year we did it, we had about 85 people come out had to bring a bigger keg <laughs> next year about 150 people and it's continued on um i think after about 10 years of doing it um we had it up to uh somewhere between uh, uh six and seven hundred riders uh, and we're doing we were doing this on a friday afternoon or friday evening at six o'clock so when you're taking 25 people through town following a keg on a bicycle a slow a slow moving keg that i'm pulling on a bicycle um and at Pittsburgh, that's not easy. This is a town of hills. No, no. It started out, it was just a sextal keg. Right. You know? And right. I'm like, I can do this. Right. And then, like, oh, God, i got to pull a half barrel. And then we got a, we had to, event, at one year, we had four four kegs, four guys pulling half barrels. Right. Um, actually, the, the one guy and his wife on a tandem pulling two half barrels on a trailer. Wow. It's like 170 pounds each. Right. So, so that was kind of crazy on a Friday afternoon. There was a little bit of drinking before the riding, and I thought maybe Scott was going to go to jail. Uh, uh, so we shifted it to uh, Saturday morning. We made it into a charity event where people registered. We got insurance for the first time, <laughs> uh, and even a police escort. That's our that's our most absurd and ridiculous thing. That and if we, anybody uh, wants to do. find out about any of this, they just go to the website or the yep. Facebook page. Yeah, we've got uh, we're active on all the all the social medias. So uh, just look for us at East End Brewing um, uh, or eastendbrewing.com uh, as the website for your, uh, your, your center for all things East End. Great. Well, so, thanks, Scott. I appreciate yeah. you taking time out of your day to sit down and talk to me. I know you're very busy. And uh, uh, I think uh, talking to the wife last night, I think we might be coming back in the summertime. Oh, so. fantastic. Bring your bicycles. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about dusting them off and airing up the tires. So, again, thanks so much. I Thank appreciate you. you. Yeah, great Thank to have you out. Yeah. Thank you much. Yeah, we'll see you again soon. Thanks again, Scott, and hopefully we'll get to see you soon. Baseball season's not uh, that far away. It never is. Time, years grow shorter, not longer, kids. Uh, but we'll be back in Pittsburgh for a bit longer visit. July 22nd through the 25th, a four-game series between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Pittsburgh Pirates at PNC Park. I think we'll be there. East End Brewing Company has two locations in Pittsburgh. First, the brewery and pub, pouring pints and filling growlers and crowlers, soon to have a restaurant. And they're located at 147 Julia Street in Pittsburgh. 
and the tap room in the strip. Pouring pints, filling growlers and crowlers, and you can go across the street and get food from top-notch victuallers through the strip. The brewery is open every day, but Sunday and the tap room on the strip is closed on Mondays and Tuesdays. You can check out what they are offering on tap as well as hours and events or anything else that might be going on over on Facebook and Instagram at East End Brewing or on their website, eastendbrewing.com. Now it's time for What's the Rumpus with Tony. What's going on in the world of craft brewing? Hello, Mr. Tony Rehagen, freelance journalist. How are things going? Doing well. Yourself, Alan? Doing great. How was uh, San Jose? You know what? It didn't happen. A funny story about it was... Uh, for the first time ever in my life, after all I've flown, I got the automatic upgrade to first class for my flight out of St. Louis at like 6 a.m. to head out <laughs> to Minneapolis to catch my connection to San Jose for a 2.30 appointment. And I uh, got on, did the priority boarding, and immediately gave myself away as a newbie by ordering a, you know, a cocktail at, at 5.45 a.m. <laughs> because it's free, damn it, and it's my right. And so I'm just sitting there, you know, just, you know, luxuriating, luxuriating. We're sitting there on the tarmac and, and it's just, it's taking forever. And all of a sudden the co-pilot gets on there and says, we found debris in the engine. We have to deplane. Uh, it took five hours to fix it. I missed, no my, kidding. I missed my appointment. And so the, the, uh, the lesson was I was not born for first class. Well, I've only flown to first class once and it was back when I was doing business, much like you. And I finally got enough points to do it. Yep. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, it'll spoil you forever. It will. Well, I'll never know now. Cause yeah. I will never, I've flew too close to the sun, I think. Well, so you can't get those, you can't get those uh, points redeemed I and mean, uh, get them back or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. But the way, the way my program works is, is, is if it's an automatic upgrade, just, just if there's room on the flight. So I, oh, okay. I, pay for it. I got you. Yeah. I got so you. it's, it's kind you. of a, it's a roll of the dice. So okay. maybe but we'll see. All right. Well, good luck. Hopefully that'll come back to you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. So I uh, understand you got uh, you want to talk to us a little bit about technology. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting how it came up too because uh, everybody's talking about and I talk about it a lot. Uh, cannabis and legalization and how it's going to affect the craft beer industry. Um, but uh, Beverage Daily magazine uh, asked Bob Pease, uh, the uh, president and CEO of the Brewers Association, about it, and he's he kind of shrugged it off and he made an interesting point. It was just kind of an off off comment he made. He said he thinks that the iPhone. Uh, is a bigger threat to craft beer industry um, because of online dating apps like Tinder. Uh, people don't go out to bars to meet people as, as much. And, you know, with the easy shopping and the Uber Eats, uh, there's really no reason to go out at all, is what he said. And, of course, it was just kind of a – it was an off comment that really got me thinking, and I got, I got to kind of looking into it. Um, and I found a study by Mintel Market Research Company that found that, that you know, our, our uh, 28% of millennials, of those aged 24 to 31, drink at home – because they believe it takes too much effort to go out. Really? Um, but but overall, <laughs> 55% of Americans prefer to drink at home. I mean, more than half of Americans now. Right. Um, for other reasons, obviously. They, they didn't give the uh, – that was just a lazy answer for being lazy. But, you know, I mean, and, and I, I'm like this too. It's, it's more relaxing. It's cheaper. It's more intimate and personal. And, of course, you know, almost half of people do it, um, studies showed, because it's easier to control your intake. Right. Uh, in other words, you can get tanked because you don't have to drop. Well, you, you know, you say that. I myself, I rarely drink at home. I might have a beer with dinner or a glass of wine, but I generally I'm at the pub or I'm uh, at a tap room somewhere. I don't drink a whole lot at the house. Interesting, interesting. I I I, I can see both both ways for it. Um, but well, of course, of course, finance doesn't come into that equation when I'm drinking down at the pub because you know I I know. You know, I know the boss, and she gives me my drinks for free. So, well, that's well, true, and it's research and it's work. <laughs> right. That's right. That's like I'm sure dining critics don't don't you know don't gorge themselves at home either. Right. Um. Maybe they do, but you know the the thing about it is is that you know they they use this as an excuse or you know but times change. You're a business owner, you know this, and it's all part of it. And it's up to the business to kind of change with the times in order to survive and thrive. 
Um, and you can already see the craft beer industry kind of doing this, uh, using mobile technology to grow their businesses. Right. Um, not only has Uber and Lyft helped people get rides to and from bars, making it so much easier, um, you know, and you see brew, beer festivals and brew pubs promoting these ride services, kind of offering free rides for first-time members with a special code. Um, but there are also Uber-type apps that will bring alcohol to your door, uh, Drizzly. Um, which is available here in St. Louis. Uh, it's in Austin, Baltimore, Boston, Chicago, D.C., Denver, Indianapolis, L.A., Seattle, a, a few other cities. Um, they'll just tack on a $5 delivery free, feed it to, to add a gratuity onto like a minimum order of 20 bucks, and they'll just bring it to your doorstep, you know, a six-pack or whatever. Uh -huh. um, and L.A., New York, and Chicago have their own apps. Um, there's also kind of the social, socialization. Uh, social media is the, the big thing now, especially with phones. Uh, and beer drinking is not, is not unique to that. Uh, you know, Untapped is the app. You know, kind of, you create your own profile. You chronicle and review, you review you review your own beers that you tasted, and you can compare notes with friends who do the same and stay plugged into what's happening with savvy brewers and vendors and bars who wisely have you know their own Untapped profiles. Uh, and the app will even direct you to approved and promoted spots where you can find certain beers. Um, you can also, these phones will also help you, you know, when you're out shopping, which this was a really interesting study I found, but Adweek did a study that found that 74% of craft beer drinkers use their mobile searches to find a select and select craft beer before they even go out to the store. And even more interesting, that same study found that almost 60% of craft beer drinkers, and I've done this myself, use their smartphones when they're standing in front of the shelf to help decide which four pack or bomber to put in the basket. Um, it, it's, it, they're kind of, they're, they're looking for reviews on Untappd or Beer Advocate. Right. Um, they're comparing pricing, trying to find coupons, or maybe even other stores to find beers that are out of stock. Uh, and what's interesting to the, to the business owner is that Adweek found that people who do that, uh, they stay in the aisle six, uh, on average about six and a half minutes, while those who don't, who don't use the apps spend less than five. You right. know, so it really behooves those vendors to use, get on as much online as possible. So is there... Does it look like they're going to kind of expand the use of smartphones and social media? And what uh, what kind of direction might that look like? I, I think they will. I mean, it, it's I think it behooves them because everybody's on their phones all the time. And, and the big thing with craft beer is getting your product in front of eyes. I mean, the, the biggest challenge as a craft brewer is people not knowing you exist. And it's hard to, you know, the revolving tap world. Of, of craft beer is it's really hard to have that one even though even the mainstays you know of craft beer you know like sierra nevada or, or or you know all the others it's hard to hold tap handles because you have um, you know you know from having owned a business as well people come in asking for stuff and you only have only have so many taps right um and so you know it used to be like you had there was a budweiser tap and that was always the budweiser tap right but now if you're if you're in the craft beer i mean it just rotates and you're, yeah. you just don't know what's there yeah so using social media to kind of get your get your information get your beer in front of people because people as this ad week survey showed people are using those apps to look for something and they don't know what they're looking for so if you get on an untapped you get your stuff out there in front of people. They'll look for it and they'll know. It's really, it's it's really kind of a precarious thing. But I, I think the technology is the only way to do it because, as as we lament, our faces are always stuck to the screens. You know, that's so. If you're going to get anybody's attention, you got to go through the screen. You can't go around it. Right. No, I say, you know, I mean, it, it helps to make things to incorporate other elements of the phone. Like, you know, some places will have it where you can pay with your phone, Smart Pay, uh, Apple Pay, um, make it easy to do so. And I've also seen bars. And this was an interesting. I went to a bar in Atlanta where they, they put barcodes in their menus for uh, extensive tasting notes and backstories rather than pack all that into like a big, thick menu or have you look right. at all these apps which aren't in the same room. You just take a picture, research your beer while you're sitting there through your phone and incorporating it that way. That's, so, yeah, I mean, it's just you got to get through people through their screens. That would be helpful. I, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you have bartenders trying to remember. I mean, you know, right. bartenders are trying to run the place and they don't, they don't have time to tell you well, what it tastes like that autumn morning. Let's be honest. Not all bartenders... I mean, now, if you're working at a tap room at a craft brewery, you better be kind of a beer geek. But let's, uh, let's you know, the truth of the matter is that a lot of bartenders, they might be mixologists. They're not really interested right. in craft beer. So that would be, um, that'd be a piece of technology I would, I think I would find handy. Sure. Uh, well, bartenders, I mean, they, you know, they, like you said, it goes through so fast. I mean, it's asking a lot of them to stay up on all this. Right, right. You know what I would like to know, uh, those of you out there listening, uh, do you use any uh, uh, 
smartphone technology in your craft beer selection. Uh, if you do, hey, you know, send us an email, cheers at thebrewstraveler.com, or send us a message over on the Facebook page. I'd like to hear what some of our listeners think about uh, use of smartphone and uh, social media technology uh, when searching for craft beers. Absolutely. Anything else that you got on this? Uh, you know, that, 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 I found a lot more than I thought I was going to. But, yeah, no, the, the only other thing I could add is, like, go, to go back to his point about, uh, you know, Tinder. The other thing is, like, you still have to find a place to meet these people. Like, okay. only a damn fool yeah. would be out there to, to go to a stranger's house uh, to swipe the person right into your own home. Uh, go meet at a bar. Meet at a brew pub. You know, if, if they don't drink craft beer, they're probably not relationship material anyway. Let's be honest. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. I've, I've been out of that game for a long time. So, <laughs> All right, Tony, thanks. Uh, where are you headed this week? I headed to Charlotte on Thursday, so I'm looking forward to seeing what North Carolina has to have. Great. Also a reminder to everybody out there listening, Tony's doing a, um, he's doing a recap of all of his beer adventures from 2018. Over on his Instagram site, you can find that at trehagen79. That's T. R-E-G-H-A-N 79 over on Instagram. Thanks, Tony. Hope you have a great week, and I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Alan. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Brews Traveler. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our blog on website, thebrewstraveler.com. Cheers. Well, kids, that's it. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Bruise Traveler Podcast. Send me a message. Tell me what you think of the show. And if you have any ideas at all, just like my friend Tim Bauman, every week he sends me something that I might be able to use on the show, and I really appreciate that. Or if you're not into the social media thing, send me an email. Cheers at thebrewstraveler.com. Please go over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a glowing review. It would mean so much. The soundtrack for The Bruised Traveler is so graciously provided by our friends, Gaelic Storm. You can check them out and see what's coming along for 2019 by going over to the website gaelicstorm.com. Marketing consultation provided by Mission Digital Marketing. Thanks again to Travis and Heather Sherry of Extra Pack of Peanuts podcast, one of the best travel podcasts out there. You can find it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. That's Extra Pack of Peanuts podcast. Thank you guys for being such great hosts while I was in the Philadelphia area. I'm home for the holidays, so I'll be down at the pub a lot between now and the end of the year. I hope to see you there. And if I don't, I'll be right back here on the podcast coming next week. And Marilee, as always, you are the measure of my dreams, honey. I missed you while I was gone. It's always so good to be back home and in your arms. So thanks again, everybody, and so long for just a while. Three years since we said goodbye I crossed that line A ferry ride to the other side And I only look back maybe once or twice I crossed that line No way out, no room for doubt Is it wrong? Is it real? I don't know
come on days till the season ends I read your words It's hard to mend with the words I send But I try to believe it'll be okay It's broken trust If I don't try what we had will die I was wrong can't be a full participant in our democracy if you don't know our history. David McCullough, historian, writer, twice Pulitzer Prize winner for his biographies Truman and John Adams, awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2006. Born July 7, 1933, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <laughs> 